you're looking for a pre-dinner aperitif, a wine to pair with brunch, or an easy drinking beer to stock your fridge, Bottles Beverage Superstore has you covered. Browse a wide array of spirits for all of your favorite cocktails, food-friendly wines at every price point, and a huge selection of beers, including some of your favorite local brands. The educated staff at Bottles can help guide you in the right direction. Located at 610 Coleman Boulevard in Mount Pleasant, Bottles is open seven days a week. Jamery Parker, producer of The Winnow. Hannah and Robert are both off this week, so we thought we'd bring you a remix of some of our greatest hits. And in the spirit of the summer and the holiday, we thought, what better topic than barbecue? And who better to focus on than our own local barbecue master, Rodney Scott? Up first, Hannah Raskin's recent world-first audio review of Rodney Scott's restaurant right here in downtown Charleston. If Rodney Scott had his druthers, this is what he would play while he was hoisting hogs and saucing meat. In Hemingway, South Carolina, Rodney had his druthers. He also had regular customers and a national reputation for making barbecue. He smoked meat in a way that harkened back to the days when he couldn't cook without an axe. But he wanted a restaurant with his own name on it. So this year, the best-known pitmaster at Scott's Barbecue came to Charleston to open Rodney Scott's Barbecue. In Charleston, this is what Rodney plays when he's working. He had to trade his playlist for Pandora because copyright laws keep restaurants from broadcasting music they haven't paid for. So when you go to Rodney Scott's, you mostly hear Motown songs. In fact, you don't even have to go into the restaurant to hear it. Rodney's pit house is screened all around like an old-fashioned porch, so you can hear the music when you're walking down Grove Street to the Food Lion. Honestly, I don't know if the OJs ever pop up in Rodney's totally legal rotation, but that's the song that says Rodney Scott's Barbecue to me. When you hear the OJs, you hear Philadelphia Soul, which was basically the brainchild of producers Kenneth Gamble and Leon Huff. When they first started recording in the 1960s, it was easier to define what their sound was not. It wasn't overly commercial, like what The Temptations were putting out. It wasn't as aggressive as funk, and it wasn't as serious as the blues. Instead, it was the sound of country gospel hymns and city corner doo-wop tunes all mashed up in service of a message. And sometimes that message was as simple as, people all over the world, join hands. Rodney Scott's half a dozen times, and as far as I know, I've yet to see two strangers hold hands. But I've seen people who looked happy enough to think about it. Rodney's taken a little bit from the country, a little bit from the city, and combined them for a crossover experience that just makes customers feel good. It's tough. (laughs) It is so, so tough to take so many neighborhood people that are from so many diverse areas and, and bring them into one place. That's Rodney Scott. I should say here that I've known Rodney for a while. But that's not any kind of food critic privilege. Rodney has more than 500 contacts in his cell phone. 
and basically I say hello to everybody. You know, I'm friendly with everybody. A lot of people associate barbecue with hanging out. So I feel like it's the atmosphere. uh, Rodney will talk to anybody who presses his nose against his pit house screen. It happens all the time. People from the neighborhood and barbecue tourists who drove through the night to try Rodney's pulled pork want to get a closer look at the operation. That kind of excitement makes for an energetic dining room. From the inside, Rodney Scott's barbecue is pretty much a tidy box, with booths and a shared table down the middle, and sheet glass windows on three sides. What's most striking, though, is the makeup of the crowd. Wow, it's almost 50-50 black-white right now. It's almost always like that. In Charleston, where blacks and whites have a 400-year-long history of socializing separately, that's a stunning achievement. But you're not coming to Rodney Scott's to take a census. You're coming for the ribeye sandwich. My ribeye sandwich. <laughs> a ribeye sandwich is a combination of where I was born versus where I was raised. I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, of course, you know, it's famous for cheesesteak. And we smoke the ribeye loin and we slice it and serve it as a cheesesteak. I've never served it like that before. Again, uh, I knew Charleston was a new beginning. And I just kind of wanted to take everything that I grew up with and things that I love and kind of incorporate it into barbecue. And that ribeye sandwich was one of my favorites. I bet you thought we'd be talking about whole hog barbecue by this point. And we'll get there. But I want to pause in the sandwich for a second and not just so I can play Love Train again. There's a slice of tomato and an iceberg lettuce leaf on the cheesesteak, which are probably two more vegetables than this sandwich needs. Its brilliance lies somewhere at the juncture of heavily smoked beef and sweet caramelized onions, held in place by rich white cheddar cheese. I know we're at the start of baseball season, but this sandwich tastes exactly like that moment in November when your team pulls off a two-point conversion. But not everything worth ordering at Rodney Scott's comes from the pit. There are almost a dozen side dishes on the menu, including skin-on fries that seem to just belong with the ribeye sandwich. There's also potato salad. It's a few cayenne shakes past the point of being presentable at a church picnic, but I think that's a good thing. Same as I like the vinegary flourishes to the quick-cooked greens. What do you recommend? What's good? Um, the mac and cheese. Mac and cheese? I was thinking mac and cheese. Yeah, let's go mac and cheese. A few of the sides didn't work for me. The clumpy purlou was weirdly monotone, and the mac and cheese was stringy where I wished it was browns and crisp. Also, while I'm raising red flags, I ought to fly one over the ribs, which have a thickly caked on chili powder coating that seems more appropriate for salmon than pork. Of course, there's nothing wrong with fish. In fact, Rodney Scott's catfish might beat out the ribeye sandwich for the dish you wouldn't think to order, but should. Catfish. Catfish. Uh, I had this thing about losing weight my entire adult life, and I would leave beef and pork and go to fish for a minute, and catfish filleted was one of my favorite things. So we took the catfish, we fried it up, and we put a little secret love seasoning on it afterwards to give it a little flavor and then 
that with the homemade tartar with a little extra bite to the tartar and the lettuce and tomato. Mm. It's good. It's good. I really love that catfish. The flaky filet is about as big as a woman's size six shoe. It's dredged in a straw-colored meal mixture. It's laid on thickly enough so you won't have any trouble making out the flavors of sweet corn and black pepper, but it still registers as light. Remember what Rodney said. This is your diet plate. It's counterintuitive, but sometimes what's freshest is coming from the fryer. The greatness of Rodney Scott's whole hog barbecue seems to ride on when the pork was pulled. For locals who are accustomed to encountering Rodney at outdoor cook events and pointing at which pig part they want, that may come as a letdown, especially if there are any crunchy bits of skin on your sandwich. And let's be honest, that's Charleston privilege talking. We're still dealing with exceptionally good smoked pork, although frequent Hemingway pilgrims may be able to taste that the Charleston restaurant sometimes uses charcoal. I mean, imagine how long the lunch line would get if the cooks had to wait on a guy to chop wood. When the pork's a little dry at the end of the day, you'll find there are two bottles of sauce on the table. One's mostly vinegar, the other one has a healthy dose of ketchup. That may not be true to Williamsburg County tradition, but Rodney Scott's isn't the kind of place where a purist is going to arch an eyebrow at your kid if she wants to slather her chicken drumstick or crackly gold hush puppy in tomato-based sauce. And there's just one more thing you need to know before you go to Rodney Scott's. You can get a gallon if you want, you know, yes. People have bought it by half gallons that I know, and I think one person for sure bought a gallon. Rodney's talking about banana pudding, which is chock full of sliced bananas and vanilla wafer shards, unless someone else at your table gets to it first. Buying it by the gallon isn't as crazy as it sounds. Rodney Scott's Barbecue is located in Charleston, South Carolina at 1011 King Street. For more information, check out RodneyScott'sBarbecue.com. That's barbecue spelled B-B-Q. Now, speaking of Rodney, he's actually one of the very first guests to ever appear on The Winnow. And after that review, I thought it would be interesting to go back and revisit his appearance from last year as he's in the process of setting up his new restaurant downtown. Now, I know you get up to New York a fair amount. I know you've cooked up there a bunch. Do you think a lot of the guys coming down here, do, do they know Charleston before they get here? What's your sense? I, I mean, think everybody knows Charleston. Yeah. I mean, worldwide. I've been in places foreign, and they know exactly what's happening in Charleston. And uh, I think a, a lot of guys are excited to come here to introduce their food and, and get their take on it. So I feel like everybody knows Charleston is definitely the place to come and eat. And so what, what do you tell people when you're, you're, in, you're in so many of these events where you're with people from all over the place? And I'm sure you must hear people say, boy, you know, I've been thinking about doing something in Charleston. What, what advice are you giving your friends? Come on down. <laughs> I mean, you know, Charleston's known for food. I've always noticed that the dishes here are great. The food, restaurants, the, the people, they're always amazingly welcoming. And you, you can't help but just come and see it. And so when they say they want to come here, it's like, hey, come on down. You need to experience the South. Right, right, right. 
So you can read more about all of those different developments, all of those openings, closings, and changes in this week's Post and Courier food section. Uh, there's also a story we have in the food section this week about Horse Creek Honey. Are you familiar with this outfit? I am not. I, I wasn't either. It was new to me. But so it's really interesting. Um, this is one that Grow Food Carolina just picked up because apparently Sarah Clow, who runs things over there, had been looking for a honey that tasted this good, but was produced in a, you know, a commercial kitchen so they could sell it, not just at a farmer's market, but, you know, they could wholesale this kind of honey. And so what's interesting about this honey and the reason I wrote about it is apparently there's a whole lot of, there's always been fraud in the honey industry, right? Um, (laughs) I don't know what you're... I don't know what your honey experience is, but I, it, apparently the as the co- as the price that people are willing to pay for honey goes up and up and up. There's obviously more people willing to cheat, and so we're getting more small time producers who are buying imported honey and just you know putting that in a bottle that says South Carolina on it, even though it comes from Thailand or India or something like that. That's not good. No, that's not good. <laughs> And so I'm curious because you have a reputation and, and well-deserved for doing things, you know, really the hard way. Um, yeah. I, 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 you know, I know, I remember we talked about at times you have sold, you know, you've sold meat to guys who then go out and say they made it themselves or things like that. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit about how fraud figures into to your end of the industry? Well, I've had guys that show up at our place and pick up whole hogs and put it on a grill, <laughs> take it to a tailgate and say, yeah, I cooked this all night. So I'm kind of familiar with that that fraud type thing that goes on. And then you got a lot of people that say, hey, I made this right at home. And then you'll see the labeled jar or something thrown away in the corner. I mean, I just say, hey, if you can do it yourself, do it yourself. Don't lie about it. I mean, you don't have to. Right. Just just bring it as pure as you can. If it's if it's underserved, when I say underserved, I'm trying to say if you don't have enough for that day. And you did it yourself, you're proud of it because you ran out of what you really done instead of saying, oh, well, I kind of mixed this up a little bit just to put it in there. And I told him it was all mine. You know, I don't think it's necessary. Right. And, and in barbecue, this happens at the at the commercial level as well. Right. I mean, you have guys all the time. Yes. What, what are things that and again, I'm not looking for your name names or anything like that. But if you were a, a consumer, what, what should folks be looking out for if they want the real deal in barbecue? Smoke. <laughs> um, a lot of times you'll smell smoke or see smoke. And you can pretty much taste it if it's been done over hardwood or anything like that. You know, the way that they do it doesn't really matter. But I went to an event once and there was barely any smoke around. And I was like, wow, this is so crazy. And everything that they were using wasn't exactly open fire. They had wood there, but it wasn't heavily smoked. And you couldn't see that they were just doing it, burning wood or anything like that. And I was like, wow, is is this really a barbecue event? And they said it was, but... (laughs) So, so what you're saying too is that you might see wood, but you need to see smoke. I yeah, mean, it's because I think a little where there's smoke, smoke there's is, fire. Is definitely, there's fire if you see smoke. Yeah, definitely. yeah. Good, good, good. A- anything else that that folks need to know to be educated barbecue consumers? That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, before you add any sauce to anything, this is a personal preference of mine as well. You taste it first, because a lot of times you you may have barbecue that's already a little bit spicy and you don't want to make it any hotter and then you can't enjoy it. So I, my first suggestion is always taste it first before you add sauce to it. 
so that you can get the complete experience of who you're buying it from and who's serving it to you. Right. And that's I think a lot of diners know to do that in, in you know, a sit down restaurant. They don't just immediately put ranch dressing all over their burger or something. You know, they taste it. And taste I think it. it's, it's interesting. I mean, it, it, it seems to me most anything that's good practice in a sit down restaurant is probably good practice dealing with barbecue as well right? definitely even in backyard barbecue you mm-hmm. know I, I taste it first before i add anything to it mm-hmm. and, you know, i still enjoy it because i love to eat right <laughs> <laughs> and uh well, my suggestion is always taste it first before you add any sauce to it right 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 um it, sauce tends to be a very divisive divisive topic yes <laughs> uh, be it vinegar pepper be it uh meat with no sauce sauce added or sauce cooked in you know, it's 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 pretty diverse all over the place, and it all depends on which mood you're in. Okay, so you so you think you can go one way and then another. It's oh, not that you exactly, can. yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Well, why does it bring out such emotion in people? Some people take their food very personal, <laughs> and you know, I can understand the hard work and efforts with that, but you know, it. I don't feel you should jump all over the next person because he chose a, a different sauce rather than what you usually use and you know just you just kind of say oh well that's not my choice mm-hmm. kind of accept it and go along with him and <laughs> say oh, he'll, he'll be all right <laughs> do you at, at the place in Hemingway do you get more emotion from the locals who've you know grown up eating this kind of food or the many many tourists you get now who you're maybe their first exposure to that sort of Man, cooking usually the tourists are the first ones to uh that they say well oh well I tasted the mustard and you have the vinegar and <laughs> I prefer mustard over vinegar or vice versa. And, you know, get most of it from visitors. Uh-huh. Big barbecue connoisseurs that are passing through. That's right, because they, they, they know it. So they, exactly. they And so they take a stand on that. They do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> do. Do people give you lip about it? I mean. Not bad lip. I mean, I accept the lip from them saying, hey, this is not mustard. I prefer mustard better. And I'll be like, oh, okay, you know, to each his own. Right. In, in the famous words of my buddy Sam Jones, everybody has the right to be wrong. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, it's, it's acceptable. Everybody has a choice. Yeah. Well, Sam Jones is actually a great segue because we want to talk about the restaurant you're going to open. And Sam went before you in this just a little bit. His place opened, what, last year, I guess? Last year, yes. Last year. So Sam Jones is a pitmaster in North Carolina. And like Rodney, um, comes from a, a family that's been, boy, how many generations have they been in it? Man, I think Sam's been in there somewhere around five generations. Yeah, this is so. so this is long time, um, long time barbecue family. So and Sam opened a restaurant. And I believe we've talked about this on the show before. He opened a big restaurant. You've yeah. been up there, right? Yes. Hey, tell, tell me about the place because I actually haven't been there. Oh, man, it's a gorgeous building. Um, he has when you walk in, there's high ceilings. And, you know, you have the, the, the bar set up in an open kitchen. But just to the right of it, if you're facing the building is his pit house. And then you see that smoke, and you, you see smell the smoke. that aroma, <laughs> you see the wood, and, and then you go in and you just got to eat. I mean, Sam Jones has a great setup over there. I've visited before, and I'll definitely go back again. And so so what have you learned from what Sam has done? What have you taken for what you, to what you plan to do? Because in so many ways, there's a lot of similarities there. Sam was definitely an influence with me making this adjustment to Charleston because there's certain little things that we do out in the country that you have to tweak just a little bit to meet the codes. And, of course, I can respect that. And uh, – Oh, com- coming into Charleston, there's a few tweaks, and I saw some that Sam made to adjust into the city limits in Winterville. And it doesn't hurt so bad to know that, hey, he did it. He's still doing it. I don't mind making an adjustment. This is one of those things that you kind of can't be too selfish with it. 
You just got to go along and respect the city and their, their rules and regulations. Right, right, right. And I, I know you were very careful also with the neighbors. I know you came in bearing barbecue. And- oh, yeah. <laughs> got to be nice to the neighbors. Got to be nice to the neighbors. <laughs> right. So tell, tell them how you finesse that because that, that can be an issue. Well, um, first of all, I just introduced myself and told them what I wanted to do in the neighborhood. And I would appreciate their support. And I would like to be involved in the neighborhood, you know, with little things. I mainly like working with kids. You know, give them inspiration. Let them know that the the world is 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 all yours. You can go anywhere you want, do anything you want. Because coming from Hemingway and traveling certain places that I've been, it opened my eyes to say that there's nothing we can't do. So when I joined the neighborhood group, I kind of told them, "Hey, listen, I'm opening barbecue up across the street, and I want to be a compliment, not a complication to your neighborhood." So, Randy, you want to talk a little bit about how you got started um, in barbecue and and what your family does? My family started in barbecue back in 1972 uh, in Hemingway, of course, South Carolina. And I grew up in the barbecue business. And every day, every week, I was there doing something around the barbecue. And it eventually evolved into me being one of the pit masters there. And up until current day, I've just been cooking barbecue ever since. And that evolved into Charleston Wine and Food. And, and oh, man, it's been it's been a sweet ride ever since. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you're in a, a place. I mean, it has, has Charleston always loomed as the big city for you? Or would it have been Myrtle Beach when you were growing up? Was Growing up, it was Myrtle Beach and mostly Florence. And Florence. Yes. Those were closer to us. They mm-hmm. were like an hour away. Mm-hmm. And Charleston was two hours away. So you really had to be on a journey to get to Charleston. And I, I believe you know how to make that journey very quickly at this point. At this point, I definitely know how to make that journey. <laughs> <laughs> so, And so when did you start taking notice of, of Charleston kind of emerging as a, a food place? And when exactly did Charleston start taking note of you? Uh, 2009, uh, Charleston was mentioned to me as far as food and everything that was going on, but didn't really pay any attention. And then in 2010, I got invited to a wine and food event and I did it. And people kept coming up, speaking, saying hello and welcoming to the city. I was like, wow, there's a lot of love in this city. And, and I didn't really believe it. And I was here for two days. And on the second day, I was like, yeah, this this place is definitely in the barbecue. It's amazing. I love it here. That's great. Well, tell me about that event. So that was a barbecue event at the festival? That was a, a barbecue event. We did the uh, Jim and Nick's uh, smoke dinner for the first year in 2010. And that dinner was a big hit. And it still goes on to current day. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was one of the biggest things that introduced me to Charleston's food scene. And you, I mean, since then, you've been pretty busy on the kind of festival circuit. Um, You've seen a lot out there. How do you think that that whole thing has evolved over the last five or six years? I mean, it's evolved into huge, huge uh, travels. Um, I've been everywhere from anywhere from here, Charleston, all the way to Australia several times, California, Tennessee. I've uh, been to Memphis in May, which was a dream. Uh, you know, I thought that event was just something that you only watch on TV. And and just coming to Charleston evolved into a whole new barbecue mecca for me. Have you, uh, talking about barbecue mecca, have you been able to eat all around at all these new barbecue places we have here? Quite a few of them I've covered. Uh, hadn't been able to hit every last one of them because I heard there are quite a few still hidden. <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to find them. Please tell me where they are. Right. <laughs> but uh, I've tasted a lot of them yep. here already. Right, right, right. The most interesting dish that I've tried for the first time was some wings I tried at Jim and Nick's mm-hmm. in Alabama white sauce. And at the time, I was like, why are these wings white? Because growing up here in the, in the southeast, we didn't, I'd never seen a lot of white sauce. 
And when I tasted it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. So that was one of the most interesting dishes I've ever tasted was. Right. And white sauce wings have become kind of a standard around Charleston now. Home team yes. does Home it. Team Smoke does, does it. Yep. Um, yeah, they've gotten pretty popular. So I would have to say the most interesting thing I've ever tasted at first was the Alabama white sauce wings. Now, are you going to have wings at your place? Wings are still to be determined. Um, <laughs> I do plan to do some fried chicken, the old-fashioned way, the way my mom used to do it years ago. And uh, it's definitely going to be called My Mama's Chicken. Um, hopefully that'll go over with a great hit. Yeah. Um, so what is it? I mean, you're talking about like in a skillet? Man, it, it's it's pretty much a fried chicken in a skillet. And it is chickens with drippings off of the barbecue. So you would get some of the good old drippings off of the hog while it's nice and hot. You would fry the chicken in that, and you would have all that smoked and whatever flavors that you have on the hog just wrapped into that grease. And, mm. Well, that would be amazing. Gotta taste it. <laughs> that Gotta sounds taste great. It. That sounds great. And where it's situated, it, it, where the neighborhood that it is in, it does seem because of where it is and, and because of who you are, it does seem that this restaurant has the potential to draw a people of all races, which is not something we see in Charleston much. Can you talk about that? I really, really hope so. Um, I see food as a peace way, along with music, between no matter what race you are. And I think us being in between downtown Charleston with the Upper King side, that everybody can come together through food, kind of enjoy each other's company and, and learn that race doesn't matter. You know, you, you get together, you have fun, you get along with great people, you're in a great spot. You know, you don't need to have conflict on, oh, you're this race and I'm that race. No conflict necessary. Let's just sit down, enjoy each other's company and have some good old barbecue. Music is a big part of that. Is there anything else you do to make to make everyone comfortable? Yes. I love music. If anybody know me, they know I love music. And I feel like music kind of relaxes the mood. It gets that mental relaxation going that you're around good people. Because if you're enjoying a song and you look across the room and you see somebody else enjoying it, you immediately say, wow, I like that person because he's kind of enjoying the same thing I am. You, you kind of get a comfortable feeling seeing it. So I feel like the music relaxes the mood and sets the motion, keeps people up and going and happy. Mm -hmm. um, and so talk through once again what your thinking was in coming to Charleston. I mean, this is something that everyone had hoped for for a long time. So what was the whole process? Man, it's been mentioned yeah. for a few years now, <laughs> yeah. and, and I've been a little nervous. Yes, I was a little nervous, and all of a sudden, I just woke up one day, and I said, you know what? I'm always saying to children, there's nothing you can't do, so I'm going to take my own advice and go to Charleston, and I'm just going to do it, and and I just took off and said, I'm going to do this, and here we are. Great. Um, so, so tell people what, what what should they expect when they come into Rodney Scott's Barbecue once oh, man. it's open. When you come into Rodney Scott's Barbecue, hopefully you can expect a great feeling, a great staff smiling, saying hello, upbeat music tunes. You know, people enjoying barbecue and southern sides and dishes. Uh, just a great spot to be, a place that you would want to go after you've left work, or a place you want to go to lunch, a place you want to bring a first date to, or an anniversary. So talk about a little bit more about the southern sides and dishes and the drinks. Those are all things you don't have in Hemingway now. So how how, sure. how are you developing the menu beyond just the the pork? Slowly, <laughs> very slowly. Um, the menu is basically coming from everything that I've experienced at some point in my life. So I'm basically serving you everything that I grew up knowing, um, even things that I never ate. You know, <laughs> there's a possibility there's something on the, the menu that I didn't eat as a child, like broccoli salad. 
Okay. <laughs> you know, you couldn't get me to eat. And I was like, hmm, let me just kind of let you know that this was a point in my life that I wouldn't eat vegetables like I should. <laughs> so, to make us eat it. Exactly. <laughs> so that would lead to the the corn or the uh, the the banana pudding for dessert, that kind of thing. The ribs, in which every barbecue joint I go to, I want to taste ribs as well. Um, I added that. There's so many different sides that I, I've listed already that I want to put on. I may have to eliminate a few just to get them all in there. But turnip greens, little things like that, potato salad. We talked a little bit about what you took from Sam's place, and we talked about Sean a bit. I mean, what what else are you have you learned from other restaurants here in Charleston or your friends, chefs elsewhere, restaurants that you can now apply, maybe things you weren't able to put to use in Hemingway? A lot of patience, <laughs> a lot more patience, um, you know, greeting the customers and letting them know, explaining to them a little further on how we cooked it, how long it's been smoking. Um, they've also brought me a lot of inspiration, again, to to just go for it, you know, live your dream out in, in whether it's barbecue or whatever. Just just go for it. And Sean and Sam both have just per, they've personally given me that influence without them saying anything to me by just me watching their motions and everything that they've been doing around their restaurants. And how, how has this news gone over in Hemingway? There, it's unbelievable. Uh, Hemingway is like, wow, when are you opening? When are you opening? You know, there's not a day that goes by that you don't get that question in Hemingway. When are you opening? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the date is still to be determined, but we're working on it as fast as we can. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you think folks from there are going to come visit you here? Yes. I have quite a few people that said they would come and visit me from Hemingway. And, uh, they were like, oh, we're going to have to come on the weekend maybe because we have to work. But, you know, that's acceptable. And and quite a few folks from here are still willing to just come down the street, maybe just to hang out and eat lunch as well. So it's, it's kind of win-win both ways. Right. And and the place in Hemingway will continue to operate. Yes. My father and my oldest son are, are operating Hemingway right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm preparing here in Charleston, just trying to make sure that everything gets going here. All right. You said you've got a lot of meetings. A lot of meetings, a lot of meetings, <laughs> trying to make it happen. Right. To, it's worth it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. As you know, everyone's super excited. Anything else people should be should know or prepare for before this yeah. gets open? Prepare for a good smell in the north central neighborhood. A <laughs> um, whole lot of fun. The music will be enjoyable. The people will be enjoyable. I mean, if you're wearing a suit and tie or if you're just wearing a T-shirt and jeans, you're more than welcome to come on in. Hey, I'm trying to spread the love here in Charleston. Hannah and Robert will be back again next week with a brand new episode. Until then, I'm J.M. Ray Parker. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to like us and leave a rating on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen. The Winnow is a production of The Post and Courier and Palmetto New Media. This episode was recorded in the podcast studio at The Post and Courier in Charleston, South Carolina. Once again, I'm J.M. Ray Parker, and I'll do my best to channel Robert. Get out there and eat.